This message by Mike Pluniak was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Mike serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. We have a long section we're looking at today. It's going to be really helpful for you to have a Bible in front of you to look on. So raise your hand and they will bring you a Bible. Today, in our series, Walking Through the Book of Acts... In chapter 10, we are beginning the longest narrative in Luke's account of the risen Christ continued work in the early church. It's the longest story we're going to come across. Reading it reminded me of the longest movie I've ever seen, the movie Gettysburg. Came out when I was in high school, and me and my dad went to the movie theater. The movie was over four hours and 15 minutes long. It really felt like you got to see the whole battle take place in front of you. It was so long, they actually had to have an intermission in the movie, something I've never seen since or before. They pause the movie and they give you a, gave you a chance to get some snacks, you know, stretch your legs, use the restroom. Uh, this narrative today about Cornelius and Peter takes up all 48 verses in chapter 10, and then Peter is going to retell the whole story again for 18 verses in chapter 11, and then he's going to reference it again in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council. Joe, Joe, just to prepare you, this is a long narrative, okay? And we're going to have an intermission. We're going to take a break, and Zach's going to finish the text next week. And not only is it a long text, but it's repetitive. We're going to read the account, and then Cornelius' guys are going to tell Peter what happened. And then Cornelius is going to tell Peter what we already read about and then what happened. And then Peter is going to tell the church of Jerusalem everything that we just read about and happened. So it's long and it's repetitive. I hope that encourages you this morning. The reason this narrative is so long and so repetitive is it is so significant significant to the book of Acts, significant to the early church, significant in redemptive history, significant for us today. I think it's fair to say, without this text, we would not be here today. And so Luke is not, he's not rambling, he's not just kind of unintentionally wandering in this story, he is highlighting this This massive moment when the promises of God, which he gave thousands of years earlier, are coming to fruition through this Gentile man becoming a part of the people of God. It is a massive moment we are studying. And it begins by introducing this man to us. Look at Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word for us today. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. 
And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now hit pause. There there are six scenes in this narrative in chapter 10. And we are going to cover the first four scenes this morning and then the last two next week after the intermission. And what we just read is scene number one, a God-fearing Gentile. We're going to have four scenes this morning, and this was scene number one. Scene number one introduces us to Cornelius. Cornelius is a centurion, which means he was a commander of a hundred other Roman soldiers. Centurions got paid five times what an ordinary soldier got. So we learn right off the bat that, that Cornelius is probably wealthy. He had authority. He had influence. He was a prominent man in Caesarea. In verse 2, we learn that he's also a man that fears God. He was a generous man. It was very unusual that he used his wealth to give to the poor. Because in Roman society, giving to the poor was not considered a virtuous act. It was a value of the Jewish people because of what God had instructed them to do. And we find Cornelius is is a generous man. He gives to the poor. He also prays continually. And these attributes are very rare because the important thing about Cornelius is he was a Gentile. He's a Gentile. And I want to I explain the difference between a Jew and a Gentile because I remember being a new Christian and not knowing what a Gentile was. I actually remember being a brand new Christian and Bill doing a whole message on how not to be a Pharisee. And someone after the service, we were probably doing something on the outside in West High School, and someone asked me, what did you think about the message? And I said, you know, I really don't know what to think because I don't know what a Pharisee is. And the person laughed at me. They just started laughing. And I don't want that to happen to you today at the fall festival. So let me explain this. Jews, the Jews were the people of Israel. They were the people who God delivered from slavery in Egypt and God called them out of slavery and he gave them the law, the Ten Commandments, and he called them to be a nation, the people of God. And part of when God called them is he called them to be separate from all the other nations around them. So you read in the Old Testament about God giving them these laws and setting them apart and giving them this land. And he called them to be separate from the nations around them because the other nations didn't worship the one true God. And anyone who was not a Jew was a Gentile. The word where the word began is it just means nations. So you had the Jewish people, the people of God, and then you had Gentiles, the surrounding nations. And there was this division between the Jewish people and Gentiles, people from any other nation. Gentiles were considered unclean. And so you had these 
these laws that Jews were not allowed to eat with Gentiles. They weren't allowed to enter into their homes. They weren't allowed to be friends with them. They couldn't even touch them. It's hard to imagine the impassable chasm that existed in this time between Jews and Gentiles. And we're introduced in this first scene it to a Gentile. And what's unique about this Gentile man is we find him praying to God during the ninth hour, which was the traditional Jewish time for prayer. He's a man, a Gentile man who fears God. And when he's praying in the ninth hour, an angel appears to him. And Cornelius, understandably so, was surprised and afraid. And if this surprises you in the text, let me encourage you to come to our Cornerstone U starting next week on angels and demons. They will answer all your questions about us. It's not the last time we're going to see angels in the book of Acts. And he is, he sees this angel, this vision of this angel. And what's interesting about this angel is he pronounces to Cornelius that he has gotten God's attention. You see this in verse 4. He says, your prayers, your alms, your generous giving to the poor, it has gotten the Lord's attention. God has seen what you've been doing, Cornelius, and God has heard your prayers. And he's about to answer them. And the angel instructs Cornelius to send men to Joppa, which is over 30 miles away, to find Peter. End scene one. Scene number two, beginning in verse nine. A perplexing vision. Look with me at Acts chapter 10, verse nine. Okay, that was the end of the first scene. Scene two, verse nine. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. This is a perplexing vision. The sixth hour is lunchtime. It's noon. And these, these details matter to Luke because we learn it's lunchtime and Peter is praying, but Peter is hungry. And when he's hungry, God gives him a vision of these animals descending on this great sheet from heaven. And this voice tells Peter, rise Kill and eat. You're hungry, Peter. You're, you're hungry. It's lunchtime. Here you go. It's an Arby's commercial from heaven. We have the meats descending down to you. And it says in verse 12, this great sheet descends. And it's all, this is the important detail. It's all kinds of animals. 
It's reptiles and birds, which means there is a mixture of both clean and unclean animals, which would have disgusted any Orthodox Jew. In Jewish law, it was forbidden to eat any unclean animal. You can read about it in Leviticus chapter 11. It's, it's one of the laws that separated the Jewish people from the Gentiles. And it mentions lizards and birds and, and, and camels and rabbits and pigs. These are all mentioned in Leviticus 11. And not only could they not eat them, they couldn't even touch the carcass or even have the carcass touch something of theirs or they would be declared unclean. It was forbidden. They would never have ever imagined of eating or touching or going near any of these animals. And yet, here is this sheet descending from heaven and this voice telling Peter, kill and eat. You're hungry, Peter, which explains Peter's response in verse 14. When Peter says, by no means, Lord, uh, just, uh, it made me think, Peter, what are you thinking? I mean, if God audibly gave you a command, would you argue with God? But then again, this isn't the first time Peter has done this. He likes to argue with the Lord. It actually happens three times in our text, which makes me think, Peter, this often happens three times. Sometimes we need to hear things more than once. But Peter says, no, no way, not going to happen. I'm not going to eat those animals. And it just, his response shows how revolting of an image this would have been to him. His whole life, he has avoided these unclean animals. Part of his daily life since birth, it has been ingrained and pounded into him. Do not touch. Do not go near. Do not eat, Peter. And now that God is telling him to do this. And the reason this is confusing to him is because God said not to in the first place. And so his whole life, he's heard God say, no, don't touch, don't eat. And now God is saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And it makes no sense to him. He's perplexed, he's confused. And verse 15 is the key. When this voice comes to him a second time, and it says, what God has made clean, do not call common. And he doesn't understand this voice what it means to him. God was overturning the clean, unclean distinctions and the dietary laws and ceremonial laws, all these things in the Mosaic covenant, but Peter didn't understand why. Why would you do this, God? He didn't understand the implications of this yet. It is a perplexing vision God has given him. Scene number three, a surprising invitation, okay? This begins in verse 17. Look down with me at our text, Acts 10, beginning in verse 17 for scene three. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. 
And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. Okay, so in verse 17, Peter is confused. He's inwardly perplexed. He's pondering the vision. God, what does this mean? These are unclean animals. You're telling me not to call them unclean. What are you trying to tell me, Lord? What are you communicating at that exact moment? The men from Cornelius walk up to the gate. And listen, we've said this before in Acts, and we'll definitely say it again, but what are the chances? I mean, what are the odds? The angel appearing to Cornelius, his men traveling 30 miles to find Peter by the sea, arriving at the exact moment when Peter is trying to figure out this vision from God. Luke is trying to make it explicitly clear to us, God is doing this. God is orchestrating all of this. And in verse 19, he just explicitly tells us this. Look at verse 19. While Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him. And the Spirit says to Peter, I have sent these men. I've sent them to you. So, so far... In this narrative, an angel has, appeal, has appeared to Cornelius. A vision from heaven has come to Peter. He's heard a voice from heaven speak to him. And the Holy Spirit has said this to Peter. What's clear here in our text is God is initiating this. God is doing this. This is not man's idea. This is not some strategy. Peter did not initiate this idea. This is not some strategy to grow the church. And Peter is going to use this over and over and over. You're going to find this throughout the rest of the New Testament God did this. This was God's initiative, God's idea. God orchestrated all these events because this was God's mission. God is doing this to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. God is doing this to expand his mission to all people, to every nation, to every tribe and every tongue. The Lord is doing this. And it's really important to get in our text, God initiated this. Because they're going to attack Peter. And they're going to say, no, 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 no. You can't do this. You can't let Gentiles in. And Peter's going to keep telling them, I didn't do this. God did this. This was God's idea. It's God's mission. It's just thinking about this this week. It got me thinking about this church that we would love to plant in Knoxville in 2025. I think about 
the circumstances and the conversations and the different things we've prayed through and the different ideas we've had. And then it just seems like you just look at our history and you have to say, God is doing this. God is leading us. God is initiating. It's God's gospel. It's God's mission. And God will use every means he can to get it to go forth. That's what we see in our text. And look at verse 20. When the the Spirit says, I here, at the end of our verse, I have sent them. Okay, this has everything to do with the interpretation of this vision. That's what Peter starts figuring out. The, The Spirit sent these men. I'm pondering this vision And they arrive at this perfect moment. And when the men explain, when they tell Peter, this this Gentile, Cornelius, was directed by an angel from God to find you. And you have to come with us and tell us whatever you want to say. Tell us what you have to say to us. I think Peter starts to get it. I think he starts connecting the dots of what the vision means. He starts piecing it together. Do you remember uh, the connect the dots drawing when we were kids? I used to love those things. They were numbered and you would just draw the line from one dot to the next. And then in the end, you would have like this beautiful picture and you'd show your parents, look what I drew. This is amazing. And it's like, all you did was draw lines from one spot to the next. You did nothing, you know? That's kind of what's happening here. God has drawn this beautiful picture. God has laid this all out and Peter is just one dot to the next. And he's just tracing these dots. And I think right here is where he starts to get it. Oh, I see the picture that God is laying out in front of me. I'm starting to understand the vision that God has given me. And look down at verse 23. When when it says in verse 23, so he invited them in to be his guest. Underline that in your Bible. That's an easy line to miss there. He invited them in to be his guest. Guess. That is a shocking statement. And it shows us Peter is getting it now. A Jew would have never invited Gentiles in to be his guest. The Jew would have told them, you have to stay outside. You're not welcome in here. Keep your distance. Wait over there. Do not enter into my house. But instead, he invites them in. And he doesn't just invite them in, but he invites them to be his guest. Listen, this is an honor. It communicates acceptance. It communicates esteeming somebody and being hospitable to them. This is a loud statement to them when he invites them in to be his guests. Last week, I listened to a podcast with Rosaria Butterfield on it and it reminded me, her testimony reminded me of how powerful Someone welcoming her into their home was to her becoming a Christian. She, she told the story in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. But Rosaria was a lesbian feminist. 
She was a leader in the LGBTQ rights community. She was writing a book about the religious right and their policies and practices of hatred toward people like her. And she was invited over to a pastor's house. Ken Smith invited her over for dinner. And for her, she saw it as a chance to do research on why Christians hated her so much. And she says in her book, she was nervous. She was not looking forward to going into their home. She was preparing herself mentally and emotionally for the hatred she was about to receive. She said she was sick to her stomach as she pulled up into their driveway. And as she knocked on the door and entered their house, this is the the phrase she used. The threshold to their life was like none other. She was warmly welcomed. She was greeted. She was treated with kindness. Though they disagreed and they were clear on that, they were kind to her. They were clear but kind. They were gentle and firm. And they enjoyed a meal together. What would be the first of hundreds of meals together? And she said this, the threshold to their life brought me to the foot of the cross. I just thought this kind of interaction, welcoming, kindness. You are a guest in our house. Come in, enter in, welcome as a guest. Personal care and dialogue while holding firm the gospel of Christ. It is so needed today. And I just, I really want to encourage you to read Rosaria's book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It will inspire you to welcome people in. This is what Peter, this is what he sees. He sees what God is doing, the vision, the animals, the clean, the unclean. He welcomes them in to be his guest. Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. What a great verse. Peter welcomed them in as guests. And I think there's application from verse 23 for us today. Inviting people in to be our guests. It is a powerful statement to make to someone. It communicates so much, especially where so much Online interaction is prevalent. Just personal care in inviting people in. So a simple application question for you. Who can you invite in to be your guest? Just think about that for a minute. Who would the Lord have you invite in? Who can you welcome in? What neighbor, coworker, what, who comes across your path that you could extend an invitation to? And listen, You don't have to have a big house. You don't have to have a fancy meal to do this. Peter invited them in to be his guest. Remember, this isn't even Peter's house he's at. He's in Simon the Tanner's house. It's even better to invite people into other people's homes. That's what he's doing. He's saying, come on in. Yeah, we got lots of food. Simon, you know, cook it up for us. But I love this invitation because verse 23, when he invites them in, you don't, you, you just, it's hard to comprehend for us today how significant it was for this Jewish man to welcome these Gentiles and say, come in and be my guest. It shows us 
Peter is getting what God is doing. He's getting the vision. He's getting the message. He's understanding. This is how the gospel goes forth in the book of Acts. He's understanding God's mission, which leads to our last scene. Scene number four, a revelation from God. A revelation from God. Look down at the second half of verse 23. The next day, he rose and he went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and he found many persons gathered. And he said to them, listen to verse 28. He said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask then, why you sent for me? I love this. I love, I love how Cornelius is ready. He is expectant. I mean, he has relatives and friends. They're gathered and they're waiting for Peter. I love his anticipation. God has a message for them and he wants to hear what God's message is and he wants all his friends and family to hear as well. I want to be like Cornelius. You know, I, I want to be ready to hear from God. I want to come to church every Sunday expectant. On the edge of my seat going, God's about to speak to us from his word. What do you have for us, Lord? Give us the message. Look down at verse 33. This is Cornelius. I love how he says this. He says, so I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. He says, we're here, we're waiting, we're gathered. Give it to us. Tell us. Let it rip potato chip. You know, give us what God has to say to us. And I just love this because when you get an expectant congregation and a preacher preaching the good news. This is a recipe for revival right here. They're on the edge of their seat saying, what does the Lord have for us? And we're gonna hear what God has to say to them next week. But, but right now, just see how expectant. He's on the edge of his seat. He can't wait to hear. And as Peter enters the house of this Gentile and he addresses this Gentile audience, it finally becomes clear. Peter gets the point of the vision God has given him. Look at verse 28. This is the point of our text today. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. He gets the point of the vision. It's not 
about food, Peter. It's partially about food, but it's not all about food. It's about people. That's the whole point of the vision. It's about people. The clean, unclean categories are about people. And we're, gonna, we're about to, in a minute, hit the intermission button. And next week, we're going to see the climactic conclusion in the conversion of Cornelius. That's a lot of C's. I think I just gave Zach the title for next week. The climactic conclusion in the conversion of Cornelius. But we, we're not there yet. And I think our text this morning, it's more about the conversion of Peter. God, before he works in Cornelius and gives him the gospel, he has to change Peter and the way he views people. And that's what God is doing here. God is showing him not to call any person common or unclean. And this sentence that God has shown Peter is a radical transformation of hundreds of years of history. It's going to be very controversial. That's why it's important God is the one who did this. Don't call any person common or unclean. In 1944, in an address to young men at the University of London, C.S. Lewis spoke about this universal desire. He thinks everybody in the world has this desire to be included. He called the object of this desire the inner ring. And what C.S. Lewis said is everybody, every person wants to be in, in some sense. And nobody wants to be left out. We want to be on the inside. We want to be in the inner ring. Peter would have thought his whole life, the Jews are the inner ring. The Gentiles are on the outside. They are not allowed in. And you had this clean and this unclean distinction. This was a huge distinction for the people of God every day of their life. It had to do with washings and eating and purifications and rituals. Everything had to do with making themselves clean so they could stay on the inside and making sure they weren't like those on the outside. And they knew They knew the gospel was going to the Gentiles, but how they could receive it being unclean and how they could even relate together as Christians was unclear. The early church loved doing meals together. They loved fellowship and time together. But how could a Jew on the inner ring and a Gentile on the outer ring, how could they even fellowship together and be in church together? And now we see in our text is now those who used to be out are invited in. God has opened up the circle. And he's telling Peter, no, 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 these distinctions, I know you've thought this your whole life, but now the circle is open to all. And throughout the New Testament, it's going to keep coming up over and over and over. Because what they keep trying to do, the book of Galatians is about this. Uh, You're going to read about this in most of the New Testament letters, is they have the circle. God has brought in the circle for all, and they keep trying to bring it in. And they're saying, no, 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 you have to do this and you have to do this and you got to add these things back in. And Paul and Peter and the apostles keep saying, no, God did this. He made the circle this big so all could be invited in. And the whole point here is 
God has made them clean. So you can't call them unclean, Peter, when God has said they're clean. You have, these, you have these laws and you think, here's the clean and here's the unclean. And God has said, no, 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 no. The Gentiles, I'm calling them clean now. They are invited in. In Acts chapter 15, when they're debating this point, Peter says this in Acts 15 verse 8. Listen to his defense. And God, who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. That's the point. They've been cleansed. The inner ring was for the clean. And now they've been cleansed by faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by what you eat or don't eat. It's not by washings and rituals and purifications. It's by Christ now. You have been declared clean and you are invited into the inner ring. And here's why this matters for us today. Without this vision... Without Acts chapter 10, without God expanding the circle out, I would still be on the outside. And so would you. I would not be allowed in. I would not be allowed into the presence of God. So this vision, it has everything to do with us this morning being here in Christ, singing songs, doing baptisms, enjoying fellowship, enjoying a meal together on the lawn. Not possible without this vision and this text today. And I just think God wants to broaden our perspective like he did for Peter. Whoever it is, whoever you think about is on the outside and could never come in. This text says, no, all are invited in through Jesus Christ. Whoever that is, whoever you think, they're out there. They, God could never, they could never be clean. God could never save them. No, he can. He has opened the door for all to come. And, and maybe, maybe you're even here this morning and you feel like you're on the outside. Listen, you, you need to hear God has done this. God has made a way. He's opened it up. He's made a way for all to come. And now you, you are invited to come in through Jesus Christ. The gospel is for everybody now. Harry Ironside, I'll finish with this story. Harry Ironside was a pastor and he told a personal story about his dad and this text that, that really surprised me. His father was dying, and he kept, he kept muttering something, and the family couldn't quite understand it, but they finally got it. His dad, as he was dying, was talking about this vision Peter had from Acts chapter 10. I, you just think, that's an odd dying text to have in front of you. And he was saying, a great sheet and, and wild beast and and he couldn't get the words out. And a friend bent over and whispered, John, it says, and creeping things. Oh, yes, he said. That is how I got in. Just a poor, good-for-nothing, creeping thing, but I got in, saved by grace. Listen, we were all unclean. 
We were all on the outside and by the sheer grace of God and the finished work of Christ, we were pronounced clean. We got in. It's a miracle of grace. And if we got in, the point is anybody can get in. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make any difference who they are. It doesn't matter about their background. It doesn't matter about their status. The gospel is for everybody. All are now invited in. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. I'm so thankful for every person here this morning. I pray every person would hear that invitation that they are invited in through Christ. And for anybody who feels on the outside, like they don't fit in, like the gospel isn't for them. For anybody who feels like they have to clean themselves up or do all this work before they can come in, I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, you would come and speak to them and show them, no, the way is open for all and they are invited in through Christ. And I pray that they would feel the acceptance of Christ this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Mike Pluniak during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.